This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk away from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round, and get fired in with our exclusive discounts. Head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pound of Foster's, a £4 for a pint of Moretti or Dark Fruits, or £5 for a pint of Fierce or a Daiquiri any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds. Red slight of foot there. It's Wednesday and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 107 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm your host Gary Scott and as always I am joined this week by Graham Steele. Graham, how's it going? Good, thank you. Still recovering from that United statement, but yep, good. We're going to come on to that all in good time after a couple of days in Scottish football that still didn't stop delivering much since goodness with Jim Goodwin taking United down. And then Jim Goodwin rewarded with taking them down, with getting the full ma- with full-time management gig, that then saw the United PR team have balls the size of grapefruits to attempt to give Goodwin a large dose of credit for the Don's third-place finish. This is why Gav's not here tonight. He's been rendered speechless off the back of that statement. Um, a weekend that also saw Hibs and Hearts battle out like two bald men over a comb at Tynecastle for that fourth place spot, culminating in build a bear suit Lee Johnson and the raging bollock. Credit credit for that one to Fitbit tweets. We nazy engaging in some handbags, and it saw mad racist Malky McKay's Dross County drop into eleventh spot into the playoff round in the cinch. It's a reasonably benign one this week on the ABZFP. We're going to look back over our final day defeat at Celtic Park. We'll check in with the remaining loonies who are still in action to see how they're getting on in Lone Watch and then after the break we'll bring you the latest in our line of exclusive interviews with Don's personalities of past and present this time a man who's staying in the North East was a short one but a somewhat memorable one 10 appearances 3 goals during the 2004-2005 season it is the one and only Fernando Pasquinelli it's a niche interview if ever I heard of one absolutely but first Celtic 5 Aberdeen 0 Saturday, the 27th of May, 2023 at Celtic Park in the cinch. Two enforced changes for Barry Robson's side for the Dons. Third visit of the season to Celtic Park as Aberdeen finished the campaign the way it started in Glasgow's East End. Liam Scales missing out on account of the Adam Montgomery rule replaced on the left-hand side of the back three by Jack McKenzie with Boyan Mioski missing out with injury replaced by Marley Watkins. The remainder of the team, perhaps somewhat surprisingly, remaining intact from Wednesday evening. Celtic. After an indifferent post-split run, both are their side with as full strength a side as they possibly could ahead of next week's Scottish Cup final against ICT. Six changes for the home side, seeing Joe Hart, Alistair Johnson, Greg Taylor, Matt O'Reilly, Jota and Kyogo all coming back into the side. And it took the home side 
Just a matter of seconds to get in on goal. Kyogo accelerating away from McDonald with just 25 seconds on the clock, but his shot was pulled wide. Jota then going close on eight minutes with an effort that went wide after a Celtic corner failed to be cleared by the Dons. It was all the home side in the opening period. Chances then going begging for Kyogo from a corner and Starfelt also pulling out a stop from another set piece on 25 minutes before the pressure finally told in the 27th minute. Kyogo given way too much room in the Dons box and his dummy sold Mackenzie and McDonald before the Japanese striker reversed his high finish past Roos who had no chance in the Dons sticks. The game was then effectively over just five minutes later. McGregor once again benefiting from an Aberdeen defensive line backing off him. His curling effort spilled by Roos, Kyogo in hand to arrive first to finish. The Dons finally making their way into an attacking area with 42 minutes on the clock. Watkins sent forward by Shinny. He was taken out by Starfelt, who ended up in the book as a result. Pollock winning a header from the resulting free kick, but Hart gathering easily 2-0 at halftime to Celtic. It was nearly three for the host right after the break. McKenzie with a short back pass to Roos, but the big Dutchman got there just ahead of Kyogo, who went down afterwards, and he was withdrawn for O. Celtic continuing to dominate possession before Aberdeen made their first change of the afternoon. Duke replaced by Shaden Morris on 71 minutes. Jota thought he'd made it three for the hosts, but his effort was ruled out for offside. But it was three on 78 minutes. Starfelt left all alone in the box at a Celtic corner and he headed powerfully home from six yards. Remember that opening goal of the campaign? Scarily, scarily reminiscent. McCrory off for Jaden Richardson in the aftermath. It was four, just four minutes later. Jota down the left. His cross found O to nod home easily before it was five on the 90th minute. Jota's free kick cannoning off the bar and with Roos stranded oh finished past Jack McKenzie on the line that's how it finished 5-0 to the hosts in what is Barry Robson's heaviest defeat as Don's manager on the data front possession 76% for the home side to 24% shots 20-0 to zero. shots on target 8-0 to zero. expected goals 3.49 for Celtic to 0.05 to Aberdeen 0.05 just for all the stat boffins out there, that's the lowest XG of any team in any game this season, anywhere in the cinch. To put that in context, Dungeon United even mustered an expected goals of 0.22 when they were hammered by nine goals to nil earlier in the season. Right, Graham, where do we start on this one? On one hand, it's hard to get overly exacted about a game that literally meant nothing to us in terms of the season had no bearing on final league positions, etc. Our job was obviously finished on Wednesday. Um, that said, losing 5-0 anytime is not acceptable for Aberdeen and to fail to muster a shot on goal against again against Celtic is um, somewhat concerning. I think so. I've seen a lot of sort of takes, you know, it doesn't matter, but I, I don't really I don't I don't really see it from that point of view. 5-0 is embarrassing, full stop. Uh you know, 5-0 and not even in the game, no shots, anything like that. Their form had been, relatively speaking, rank. You know, that's the last few weeks they've been dropping points. We go down there and get absolutely battered. And, you know, remember, people, people were still taking the time and spending the money to go and watch that. So I think it is a little bit worrying. I mean, that's nowhere near anything you'd want uh, from from your team. So I take it, I take the point that, you know, the season was over and we'd achieved our, what I assume would have been our objective for the league at the start of the season. But I'm not quite prepared to just say, ah, well, 5-0, I never even got close to them. I mean, it could have been more. What do they put the post in the bar? Um, so I don't think that's, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit, it is a little bit worrying, but there's probably a little point in deliberating over it because some 
or none of these guys will be back next season. You know, so this is the midway point or whatever, and you're like, right, okay, we've that's his squad, and we're gonna have to deal with that for the season. I'd be really worried. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a really, really poor result, and let's hope we don't have anything like that next season. It's one of these awkward ones, isn't it? Because I saw a lot of people as well. You know, we tweeted out at halftime that ordinarily I think the pitchforks would be out after a result like that. Um, and I don't think that should be confused with people saying, or by certainly myself, you know, taking the view that it was acceptable. But I think context is sometimes quite important. And ultimately, it's a game that had no real bearing on, on how the season finished up. And I think when you do look at the context, I think the result in itself becomes a little bit more understandable to an extent. And not again to say it's acceptable but it is what it is at this moment in time i mean i was surprised i don't know about you by just how much of the core team that robson did go with again to start the game only the two changes which were enforced changes nothing else in terms of moves in or out of the the, the, the first team on, on on saturday lunchtime were you kind of surprised by that a little bit um in one respect no because despite what people say in the season wasn't over because it was the last game of the season so you should be going there to try and get the point. So you'd put out basically a strong team, which is also a little bit alarming that we got scurried 5-0 with our real team, give or take. And then on the other hand, there was a bit of a just give. I mean, I saw some people claiming, you know, some of the lone players that were going back, give them a game. So well, there's no point in that because you're not getting anything out of that. But some of the younger guys that you do rate and will be in and around the squad next season, there might have been a chance to just give them a bit of a taste. And it was probably, I can't imagine it would have changed the outcome at all. But gives them just a little bit of experience. Um, so, I, I mean, guess we've got nothing. There's probably no reason to to not play a real team. I guess so, like I say, the context is maybe a little bit important. You kind of touched on it there that Celtic, their form since winning the league title has been pretty indifferent. They've dropped points all over the shop, but they've been resting loads of players in that period of time. They came back to basically being as close to full strength as they possibly could have been um, on Saturday They've rested players since the split. We came into it, we just touched on it there with still the same core of players who've, in my eyes anyway, have looked like they've been kind of running on fumes a little bit for the last few weeks. I think that the last push on Wednesday night against St. Mirren was possibly the final straw for a number of those players. And if nothing else, and I think this is probably more what the result on Saturday shows, is the lack of faith that Robson had in the fringe players, that he didn't even decide to mix up a little bit. Um Post-match, Robson advised that you know both Pollock and McDonald were struggling with hamstring injuries after after Wednesday night. McCrory probably should have come off at halftime, struggling with his recovery after the hernia operation, but he wanted to continue. Johnny Hayes has looked burst for weeks now, in my view. Duke's clearly not fit. Um, I think if Miofsky's fit, I don't think Duke plays uh, yesterday. I mean, after the highs of Wednesday evening, it's maybe a stark reminder of the scale of the rebuild and the reshaping of the squad that now needs to be done this, this uh, close season. Yeah, I think that's probably that's probably fair. I mean, yeah, there's there is a lot of work to be done in that squad, and I think it. I think I agree with you that the fact that in pretty much all of his tenure, he's not really looked out with effectively a first eleven. To you know, obviously, he has made substitutions when he's had to, etc. But he's not changed it up and decided that um, basically he's got anything better on the bench for 90 minutes so I think that probably did play into his thinking for Saturday because uh, you know I was when he put out what I would consider his real team I'm taking it that he didn't think the season was over and he was going to try and give them a game and obviously that, that, that did not work out but I think that's partly maybe to what he was trying to achieve and also in terms of you know, that sort of mindset and also yeah probably 
user of the pain. There's no point in putting these guys in because I'm not going to use them again and or they'll, they'll embarrass us. So not a great, not a great look because there's a few guys on the bench that I was under con- contract yep. for the next few years. And I think we've invested a fair bit of money in. So that's not looking too good for next season. It's what we've seen as well the last few weeks, though, isn't it? Like I say, I, for, in my view, I, I, I think we touched on it before we spoke about the when we previewed the St. Mirren game, I think, that I felt like we were kind of going to stumble over the line a little bit and it felt like we were running on fumes. Um, and you could kind of see that because just the core group has basically been just run relentless now since since Robson came in. And I think that's maybe a little bit what we saw as well on Saturday. I've seen a lot of people obviously really concerned about the way that we set up, which was very passive. It was very McInnes-esque against Celtic again. Um, I think, again, possibly a lot of that was just down to the fact that I, I don't think Robson thought that the team had the legs in it to necessarily do much else, which, again, it's not necessarily excusing it, but I think it's probably just realistic about about where we were on Saturday. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I never really, I don't fully understand the argument around people being tired or it's the end of the season. I mean, it's not been as long a season for us as it should have been. Which is got scudded out the cups earlier on. Not all of these guys have necessarily played the length of the season because they've not always been here. So I don't, I don't fully get that argument. The professional athletes, they train, they recover, they eat properly, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I'm not really sure that that really lends itself to that sort of performance. Uh, you know, being fatigued. That being said, I've never been in that position, and maybe as much as generally speaking, probably the guys we've had under Robson have pretty much given their all. The whole time, you know, maybe they've just been a bit, although they're not trying, but it's maybe difficult for them to focus in the same way because they know they're probably going into that game thinking, this is going to be difficult. Nobody ever gets anything off them. And they know that the job was done. So maybe just one of these things. Let's just hope come next season, uh, we're not seeing any fives in the uh, against column. Absolutely. I mean, one thing I would say as well, I thought Celtic looked really up for it as well in fairness to them like it wasn't like I say they came back with basically a full strength team it was well, a title that presentation good, day yeah that is they looked right point. up for it and right back at it and I think between that and us being a bit lethargic this yeah. also and I joked about it at, at the start of the game when we tweeted it but I'm actually amazed some of our players were actually sober enough to take the field as well after what's going on and I know some people have said that well that's maybe a bit unprofessional us celebrating the third place finish to the extent that I think the, the players did I can forgive it a little bit because we've got something tangible in that there's group stage football one way or another. So that uh, there's something real there. In seasons past where we finished third and what you're really celebrating is a qualifier or maybe one qualifier. more. <laughs> yeah, do you know what I mean? Like not to yeah. belittle it and obviously that's what we wanted to do is get third and you've got your best chance of getting getting through, etc. But in reality... Uh, you know this idea that we've getting European football when you've got a couple of qualifiers. At least there is something actually to to show for our effort. So I can kind of see celebrations. As we touch wood about Cali not winning the cup, obviously at, at the weekend. But yeah, and I don't know. But I think from where the squad was at in January, just the scale of the turnaround deserves deserves recognition about how remarkable it is. And I know that yeah. people and I know Johnny Johnny Main. I know you said that we were having a bit of a, not a ding dong about it yesterday on Twitter, but you know. Irish Grand Slam rugby union team celebrated for less time when they won the Grand Slam. You know, it's maybe not the the measurement of winners to be celebrating like that on a third place finish. But I think given the scale of the turnaround, I I agree with Johnny that first club at Aberdeen, we measure we should measure success by trophies won, not by finishing third. But where we were at 
I'm going to let them off. I'm going to let them off on this occasion. Well, I was going to say, I let them off on the basis that I was just thinking from a, you know, from a management point of view, what would I do? That's a decent achievement considering everything that's going on. So you maybe let them have that, but then sort of make it clear that, you know, this time next season, if we're finishing third, yeah, there's not the same level of... That'll be the bare know, minimum expected. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's like, you know, enjoy it. That's fine. But almost with a kind of, right, we got through and we achieved the minimum. So... These, these, this level of celebration is fine in the context of where we've come from. But by the way, yeah. that's like your starting point for next season uh, in terms of uh, accomplishments. If you get that, you've not necessarily achieved anything per se other than the, the base objective. So I'll cut them some slack. Um, On this time say. only. This one time. This one time if you're all listening. Just yeah. this one time. I mean, just bear in mind, you know, at the end of January... There was a lot of us with a fear that we were in a relegation, could be oh, heading down the, the barrel of a relegation scrap. Totally agree. The amount of, you know, as the as the sort of weeks progressed under Robson conversation, I just think like with colleagues and people in the office from, like you were saying, fucking hell, we're really looking over our shoulder here, this is grim, to, right, ship has been steadied. Okay, we're, we're safe now. We can maybe start to enjoy the season a little bit more to, uh, we might just about do it. And then the last couple of weeks, I think, like you said earlier, then there was a sort of, uh, we might just stumble over the line here. And that's how it felt, which sounds really critical. And it's just how fickle and or greedy you are as a fan. Yeah. Because at the start of the season, realistically, and I know people will shoot me down for being negative, I don't think anyone out with either of them is ever going to do better than third. So... Not the way things are at the moment. The way things, the way are, things, are, the way things so, are set up at the moment, it's hard to see how that could possibly happen. I don't see how it will ever change. So the league objective must have been to finish third, and, I, and obviously that I would have been happy with that. The only way, realistically, for us to start to bridge that gap is to be doing what we've done this season now, which is finish third with hopefully, fingers crossed, touch wood, guaranteed European football, and do that consistently for a number of years. Yeah, but you've, if you think... How Even long then, do you have to do that in the investment? Yeah. All that's probably going to do is is create a gap below us. But I'm not yeah. sure you'll ever really start to close the gap to the top two. You might build a bit of a buffer. You might be, yeah, start, you might be able starting, to dream a little bit bigger if you could consistently do it. Especially um, once Sevco's creative accountants kind of, you know, start to catch up with them <laughs> once again. Anyway, listen, it could be a lot worse, couldn't it? We could be Dundee United. Uh, uh, well, that is entirely correct. Speaking of Dundee United... Graham doesn't even know when I'm going to drop these in, which is the best no, thing. I was about just this quickly evening. checking it because uh, was that Paul Johnson? Yeah, that is an absolute <laughs> banger, and it fits in the nineties criteria. Yeah, we might have to get in the GMC. That might make an appearance. Yeah. Obviously, uh, I'm sure people will figure this out by now. But Gary's got a new toy, and he is using it. To oh, the max. fucking right, we're using it. If you're wondering <laughs> what we're going to do all all close season, this is it. Um, I guess the worry. Let's 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 look at the negatives again quickly. The worry again, though, is it's another meeting with Celtic this season where we failed to muster a shot on target, uh, or even a shot on goal. In our <laughs> wait for this one, this is a fucking doozy. In our four meetings with them this season, we've only had three shots on target in total, right? And all three of those came in the opening game of the season. So we've had no shots on target in the remaining three fixtures. I'm laughing through the tears here. 
our combined expected goals against Celtic all season is 0.61. I'm trying desperately not to take too much away from yesterday in terms of our performance, but clearly that's an area that requires huge, huge improvement next season going forward. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's, I mean, that's that's woeful, too kind. I I, I think you're gross as your, I like it when you say the word (laughs) gross. That is a gross statistic and one that I do not want to be seeing next season. But it's a very good point, actually, because I'm just quickly flicking to the, the table, actually. The table's amazing as well. The table's amazing this season. Oh, so because what I was going to say is, yeah, that statistic is garbage in terms of improvement for next season. And this is probably me being, you know, greedy and slightly contradictory to what I said earlier about finishing no higher than third. You know, we're third on fifty-seven, Zevko ninety-two, Celtic ninety-nine. I mean, we're miles behind. Yeah, the other two. So yeah, we need to improve against. Celtic, but across the board, something needs. I, I don't know how. I'm not sure how realistic it is, but I mean the gap between us and them is massive. I think if my maths is right, I need to double check this quickly. I think if my maths is right, that would mean that over 400 games based on this season, um, I think that that would mean we would score 61 goals against them in 400 games. That's what that would average. It's not great, is it? It's really not great at all. Um, yeah, that's it's, it's clearly an area that needs mass improvement. I think we joked about it after the, I think it was after the home game, the one 0 game. The, the, there's an argument to suggest that the stats are somewhat skewed this season because we visited Celtic Park three times and only played them at home once. But then that gets balanced out by the fact that our home performance against them was as bad as anything I've ever seen away from home. And I think in that game yeah. we must. Have, I think our expected goals that day was point. Zero six for the game, which would have meant if you played them a hundred times, you would have scored six goals. I think that's how that which again, it's not not great. It's really not um not, not and, and actually, I think what makes that, or in my opinion, even wilder is the fact that it's not actually a lack of goals this season. That's <laughs> we've got we've got goals in that in that team, and we've got goal scorers. I can think of seasons past where yeah we weren't very good anywhere, but actually. Across the board, probably the the creative side has been throughout the course of the season, probably our main strength, I would say. I, I, defence, much, much tighter under Robson, but actually scoring goals hasn't really been, I don't think, a huge problem across the season. So you've got a decent threat and your, uh, your XT is still that low. I don't know if it's a little bit of... I, I don't know if there's a little bit here which, like, this... The, the the timing at which we played these teams and the performances are a little bit misleading as well, potentially, because first day of the season, I thought we were poor, um, but we had chances on that opening day of the season. You know, Johnny Hayes should score before halftime, which would have made it 1-1. I think it becomes a very different game if that happens. The the home performance against Celtic, the first game after the World Cup break, I think we all agreed at that point. I think a lot of us had had niggling doubts about Goodwin for a while running up into the World Cup break. Um, it's hard to forget, it's hard to remember sometimes as well that we went to the World Cup break in third place. Um, so it was ours to throw away at that point and we made a fucking good job of trying to throw it away in the, in the December-January um, run that followed. The, the, the performance against Celtic at home was the one I think that turned most Aberdeen fans really against Rob uh, Goodwin in terms of you know setting us up to play that way at home against Celtic. Um, 
the away performance against Celtic the followed Robson's it was his third game in charge, I think. Um at that point at that point we're still trying to bed in uh, a number of players, like Pollock, McDonald, etc. All try to bed in. You'd have been out Liam Scales as uh, again as well for that game. I think from memory was that Jay Horter's debut, or maybe his mother was Jay Horter's debut. It was a bit makeshift, as I recall, that performance at Celtic Park, the four uh, nil defeat. Um, it's really difficult. It's like all of these statistics. They're only useful if it's a like-for-like comparison, as yeah. in and it's 11 say, v 11, it's the same yeah. 11 v 11, et cetera, et cetera. And I was going to say, the and last game of the season there, I think we're running on fumes and we're burst and they come back with like a bunch of players who've been kind of rested and stuff and it's hard to read into it too much. But no, nevertheless, the stats are the stats and the data is the data and it's clearly an area that's going to have to be a massive, massive improvement on next season is the way that we tackle games against Celtic. That said... And again, this is not me trying to be like, oh, like I think Celtic are amazing, but Celtic are by far and away the best team in the league at this moment in time. But other teams have put up much better fights, even at Celtic Park this season than we what have. Frustrates me. Yeah, they're decent and they are better than we are. But I think that's what annoyed me the most. I know the, I guess the run they've been on maybe a little bit misleading given the the the, the teams they've been fielding. But uh, yeah, other people have run them close. And, you know, it's almost like we've never really turned up at all in any of the away games. Indeed. Um, we're going to talk in more detail about the season as a whole. Uh, in fact, no, let's let's skip that just now. It also highlighted, sorry, just for me, the, um, the performance of Saturday. Just why some of the fringe players are just not really good enough to be here. Um, Jack McKenzie was poor for most of the game, I thought. I think you should do better as well with the final goal. I think it's a pretty tame effort to try and stop the ball on the line. I know it's a little bit futile at that point. It makes it five in the final minute, but still, I think you should do better with it. Um, Shade Morris came on for Duke um, midway through the second half. His attempts to block the Jota cross for the fourth goal is, I was going to call it shameful. It's non-existent, um, the attempt to try and do it. Richardson didn't really help himself when he came in off the bench. And yeah, time and time again um, this season, the fringe players just are not pulling up trees, are they, when they, when they even get those opportunities to come into the first team? And that, again, I think leads into the reasons why the, the result on Saturday ends up being the way it is, because we just had to rely on a core group of players to get us through the season. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I mean, I think it might be time for Jack McKenzie to move on, um, which might be a conversation for later on. Yeah, Morris and Richardson, uh, it's not a very good look for either of them really is in terms of performances and the fact that they they're just not getting anywhere near that that team. So I feel like we're probably always saying this, but it's another massive summer because you've you've got um probably what the core of your your first eleven mm-hmm. for various reasons probably not going to be back. And then you look to the bench and you're not really thinking, well that's fine because this guy will step in. You're looking at the bench and thinking some of them might be away and or should be away. So it's gonna be uh it's gonna be busy and expensive. I think it is. That's the that and that's gonna be the big thing. It needs to it? be as well. And we're gonna we're gonna talk in more detail about the season as a whole that's just gone past. We'll, we're gonna over the next few weeks, we'll bring you back the patented ABZFP season review in multiple parts because we're padding like fuck to get us between now and the start of next season. We'll do that with some familiar faces, some new faces as well. Tom Watt's going to be back, um, but Tom, bless his cotton socks, is going to be giving some positive to talk about. Andy Murray will be back to talk about the chaos that was Darville. Um, 
but yeah, and, and to look ahead, I guess, the season ahead, to the to the close season ahead, the season ahead, what we need to do in terms of the squad, there's a lot, a lot of work to be done in there. Um, but just briefly talk about the season just gone past. 46 goals in total we've conceded away from home this season. Put that into context for people. That matches the same amount that we conceded away from home in the 1999-2000 season, where we finished bottom of the league, um, which just shows you just how mad this season has been. The flip side to that is we only conceded 14 goals at home in the campaign as well, which is not bad going. Um, I, I, we, we touched on it weeks and weeks and weeks ago. We were, A, so Jekyll and Hyde when it came to home performances versus away performances. Although, our, as it turns out in the in the league standings now, we're kind of midpoint as far as our away form has been. It's balanced out a little bit, but aye, prior to... It should be better still. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I agree with that. So it doesn't look as bad as it was. Um, basically at the point yeah. where Robson took over but but 46 <sighs> goals on the road like I say th- I know. that's the worst and that that ties us with the worst amount we've ever conceded away from home um, in the league certainly in, in the in the modern era of 12 uh, 12 team league etc etc to tie that with the season we finished bottom and if anybody remembers the season we finished bottom under Ebb um, that's just everything you need to know and it's been that classic. I think when we've conceded this season, we've gone on to fucking concede. I, I can think of now off the top of my head, what, two, three fours? Um, United, Sevco, Celtic. I'm trying to think how many fives there's been. Arts and Spelt Celtic. Again. Now. That's f- two fives. Yeah. Six. And a six at Hibs. Yeah. It's, and some of those came in. <laughs> some of those came in, you know, obviously a week of each other. Um <laughs> Some week, fuck me. I know. Well, one bad week, one bad week, one bad week. Um, <laughs> yes, of course. I forgot about that. It's huh. it, it. just shows what how mad a season it's been as well. And you were talking about looking at the league table at the moment. The fourth place team in the uh, sorry, the third place team in the league, obviously ourselves, finishes the season. I think with a a, a record of minus four from a goal difference perspective. Yep. Um, we lost nearly half of our games this season. Um. A pretty remarkable, a very odd season in the cinch all round. Although in saying that, it seems as though it's actually mirrored up quite close to what happened last season. Hearts ran away with third last season because everybody else let them do it. But from recollection, when you actually looked at the most of the teams in the league last season, well, generally speaking, most teams won the majority of their home games. Most teams were terrible on the road. It just goes to show how important that home form is. And I wonder if we'll continue to see that next season. And And... There's a lot of work to be done, isn't there, for us next season? Because we're, we're going to be fighting, again, knocking on wood, that ICT don't uh, cause the upset of all upsets. I thought it would be the most Aberdeen thing in the world to happen um, on Saturday in the Scottish Cup. Um, we need to maintain certainly that first six months form in both the League Cup and the League to try and ensure that we can continue to build on that. Definitely. Definitely. So you need a, a better and bigger squad probably than you've had before. So, yep, a lot of work to be done, but people should be, you know, using this as a sort of motivated, looking forward to to that work in the summer. And I think as in, you know, we finished third, right? That's, that's obviously what you want to be doing next season. You want to hold on to that. We need to perform better in the domestic cups because performance was poor this season. Uh, League Cup in particular, maybe not so much. The Maybe go a bit further in the... Scottish Cup or the other way around I forget oh come on Graham how can you forget come on where did we finish in the Scottish Cup mm. League Cup was alright League Cup was okay well I say alright 
semi-final defeat when, uh, they, when we were all up. Not great. No, no, I know. But at least we got to more like the business end. Mm-hmm. Um, and depending on what happens uh, Europe-wise, hopefully you're in a group stage of some sort. Depending who you get, you might fancy your chances of actually competing in that. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot, a lot going on next season. There is indeed. The, it's hard to go kind of two-footed in on this performance, isn't it? Because, like I said earlier, it's, on, it is the, the job was done, and you know there's a load of context and all that. But alongside our other performances against Celtic this season, um, the, the the underlying trend is there, yeah. and, that, and that's alarming. Should that be should should Celtic be the measuring stick against how we measure our performance next, our progression next season? Um, like personally, I don't think I can stomach watching us go so defensively against them again next season um, or is there an argument to be made here about the fact that Celtic are so way out in front of everybody in the league not just ourselves I included um, I include Sevco in this as well that they're almost not really it's almost like not fair to judge yourself against them right now where they're at and you should be judging yourself against you know track close that gap in the first instance on Sevco next season I think I can see that to a degree but you look at some of the teams who've taken points off Celtic this season you know they can do it yeah, and theoretically we're we're better. I, I I know what you mean. If you're saying that's the benchmark, and you want to be able to compete against them, uh, we're a long way away from that. But what I would say is, if you're wanting to finish third again next season, um, I'm not certain we'll get away finishing third with not taking anything off. The yeah, you need more out of those games. I would think probably you look to your home fixtures. I think you need to be getting something out of those games, and that's almost like the the bonus points, if you like, that uh, really gives you a real chance of finishing third. If you're beating everyone else, then probably the teams right behind you are going to be beating everyone else as well. But they seem to have picked up better results against the other two. Oh, and also because obviously you you, you can join us on Thursday to look back on Wednesday evening. Um, in the grand scheme of things, the game on Saturday is one that means very little. We should hopefully try and put it to bed quickly, although I would like to think that Barry Robson and Steve Agnew will certainly have it on the, the checklist for next season to make sure that we don't end up in this in, in we're putting in the same sort of performances next season. But it's one we should probably put to bed quickly, reflect on what has been an absolute insane roller coaster of a season, um, reflect on the fact we've achieved what we what we set out to achieve at the start of the season in terms of finishing third. We stopped hearts, which is I think we spoke about on the pod in the middle of the week, it's almost just as important to have stopped Hearts getting third two consecutive seasons in a row as well as as, as much as it is for us to have, have got it ourselves. Um, and we need to move on to the summer and it's going to be a massive summer now, a huge, huge summer. But we need to put that one to bed, I think, on, on Saturday and just move on from it quite quickly. Uh, definitely. It's done. We achieved what I think our league objective would have been. I'm sure people don't say that in terms of the, the club, but I don't think you can do any better than that. So... Somehow we've got there, which is all that really matters. I think to your point about Hearts, you know, we were talking earlier about if we could string together a few seasons of actual European football group stage stuff, you know, that might elevate you almost in a little spot on your own in terms of the financials. It's critical that we didn't allow Hearts to build up that sort of momentum and head of steam where they maybe do that to us. So, yeah, that's kind of nipped that in the, the bud. Hopefully we can make the most of it. Uh, and... You know, stuff to look forward to next season. Whereas there was a time where all we might have had to, I don't know if look forward to is correct, all we might have been doing is updating our sat-navs to 
go to stadiums we've not been to for a long time. <laughs> at least yeah. now it's a positive. We're looking at flights to go to stadiums. Stadiums we've not been, been there before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Definitely. Definitely. Now, for a laugh, uh, let's move away from that. So that there we go. I, I can't even be bothered doing a top down from the performance of the weekend. Except to be honest, I'm not entirely sure how I would even get to that position. Let's give it to Johnny Hayes for being tackled by uh, a bin bag. <laughs> yes. But for the biggest laugh that came on Saturday night was obviously the news that Jim Goodwin had been given the full time gig at Dundee United. Before we move on to the statement, Graham. Um, in fact, before we give, move on to your thoughts, actually, let's um, let's just. Give it one more bash. Let's just use your toy again. There we go. It's brilliant. I love it. Um, anyway, right, before we move on to the statement, just the, the sheer idea that they've given him the gig full time. I can't <laughs> get my head around how he got the gig part time <laughs> or short term, whatever you would call it. To then <laughs> I just cannot get my head around that at all. I should say, for the avoidance of doubt, you know, Goodwin, I didn't have anything against him as such when he left Aberdeen he's not I don't think he's a particularly good manager he was never the correct appointment for Aberdeen but I didn't have anything against him I found you know he was fairly inoffensive during his tenure but some of the I found him quite offensive during his tenure to be honest his results were offensive (laughs) but uh, you and Gav loved him you were lapping up the pressers early doors but the way (laughs) you know some of his statements and some of his uh, revisionism since he's left it's a bit amazing that uh, they both kind of deserve each other. Let Shall we talk about some of the revisionism? Fair fucks to whoever the Dundee United press and media team decided that this was a good idea. I, um, I, I think it's someone who doesn't like football or doesn't watch football. <laughs> well, they've just, the they've just gone, look, Aberdeen have just finished third. He was there. So we'll put that light in. <laughs> uh, the thing is, I am also convinced that Jim Gooden probably okayed it. Because if you think earlier in the week, he was blaming... Jack was Ross everyone else? and Liam Fox, yeah, yeah. they had to take their fair share of the blame. I mean, I'm not sure what Jack Ross does. He's not been at the club for, what, like nine months or whatever? Um, yeah. And I think people have forgotten it. I think the United board seem to have forgotten it. Goodwin had them four points clear of bottom spot going into the split or, or, or in the first game after the split. And they've somehow contrived to collapse, but just as badly as Hearts have managed to do over a number of occasions. Um, just mental. Just I just... I I honestly cannot fathom I, I honestly can't. and I love the statement I love the fact that somebody sat there and gone let's give Jim the credit for Aberdeen finishing third even though if you look through the squad that finished third a chunk of his players aren't there <laughs> or not featuring the thing I was just thinking about it when I read it if if Goodwin could bottle that self-confidence belief arrogance whatever you want to lack of self-awareness, I don't know. If you could bottle that, I would mm. pay a lot for that because if I had that sort of confidence or ability to just Teflon everything, I could probably go a lot further. If I, if I was walking in every day and I'm like, Graham, you fucked this up. No, I haven't. There was a guy before me. And see that stuff that went well that I had nothing to do with? Well, actually, it turns out I did have something to do with it. Uh, you'd be unstoppable. Uh, you really would be. You you really, really be would incredible. be. Incredible. Um, yeah, just it's that, an incredible statement and an incredible decision. I can't see. 
I, I can't see how that makes any sort of sense. I think as well, I, I, um, I love the fact that United as well, you know, the, the chairman came out not all that long ago and, you know, said it wasn't going to be that big a deal if they went down and they'd, they'd come straight back up. The record doesn't necessarily show that that's the case. Um, you know, there's, there's teams in the championship next season who'll be looking at it as being, you know, massive scalps to get after. You're going to also have, I fancy Ross County will go down. I, I really fancy Park Thistle in the playoffs. Yeah, I was going to say, but Ross County... And Roy McGregor's got big pockets and it's just what the I was last time they went they, down, they, yeah. they, he funded them to come back up. Again. They generally spend quite heavily for that league. So it's not like Dundee United are going to be the big fish in a small pond that'll have the biggest budget. I'm not so sure they will if County end up in there with them. So yeah, this idea that they're going to go down and come back up, I'm not, I'm not so sure about that either. Certainly going to be interesting, I think, to see what happens in that league next season. And again, I, I, I want to, I'm kind of probably similar to yourself in this game. I don't necessarily hold a lot of ill will against Goodwin to an extent. Um, he seemed like a nice enough guy when we met him. Um, you know, he was, he was he was great with my son that day, so that was that's good. And that's always a positive for me, just the way that people would talk and engage with supporters. But Jesus, I can now never forget and never forgive the likes of Darvel, for example. And the thing for me is that. I look to results like that and I um I look for integrity in individuals and I think he should have done the right thing and walked after Darvel, even if it he'd come to a decision with the board around the fact that he just sacked me, but we can make it look like I've at least walked rather than try to pretend that this was you know, he, he could somehow ride this out. Um because I don't think the six 0 happens if it hibs if he's not in that seat any longer. But hey, it is what it is. United have got their um just desserts, it's fair to see. And there's something, old, uh, maybe Jack Ross should take, um, maybe Jack Ross should take his share of the blame because for a while this afternoon, it looked as though they were going to finish level on points with Ross County and um, it would have been that 9-0 pump and it would have actually meant that they were they were <laughs> relegated. So, but in classic United fashion, they managed to just see it out and were in pursuit of uh, the championship. Anyway, shall we move on, Graham? Let's do this. On to other news from AB24 this week. Um, in terms of news, since we were last with you um, at the, the tail end of last week, very, very little, to be honest, which means we can probably move straight on well, to... No, oh, that's not oh, technically no, true. No, no. I can't do... Did you not see that the youngsters won something? Oh, yeah, good shout. Yeah, the under-16s, I think yeah, it was. Yeah, that's what I was trying to find Yeah, out. the 16s. Under-16s Cass League champions. So I think that looks like under-16s playing under-16s Club Academy Scotland yep. League title. So, I mean, on a serious note, you know, the first team got work to be done, performance is debatable, but that's an excellent result. And I think, I don't think, was it maybe the age up had decent result in a European tournament or it might be the 14s, football. I think. The 14s um, are doing well. In the, so, you know, the, the, there seems to be, I know there's obviously a huge gap and the number of years before any of these guys may or may not be ready to, to make the grade, but it's encouraging to see at the almost like the the age groups below, I guess the first team because we don't have reserve football anymore. That there's there are encouraging signs there in terms yep. of the the kids who got in the book. So that's a really good effort. The 18s generally had a good season. Um, and we've tracked it all the year long. They kind of yeah maybe you know, suffered they, a bit with Robson moving up. Uh, possibly they've you know I think they've also just maybe ran out of steam a little bit. They're also in general the 18s group is. A mix of um, of boys at the kind of seventeen age kind of mark, but there's a lot of younger lads in that group as well. Um, you know, there's been occasions this season where we fielded 15, 16 year olds in that that team. Um, I think we do um, 
sometimes lack a little bit of that age group because we tend to send our young players out on loan as well, which means it takes away a number of players from being able to play at the 18s level. But yeah, there's a lot of positive signs in there. Like I say, we've kind of fallen a little bit away in the 18s towards the back end of the season. But on the whole, um, you know, we gave Dave Cormack a bit of credit in the show uh, earlier uh, after the St. Minnan game on, on Thursday night. And on the whole, I think certainly on the youth side of things, that the, the club deserves a big massive pat on the back about some of the players we're bringing through and uh, and how they're doing and, and the type of um, interest they're attracting from elsewhere as well just now, which makes it harder for us to try and keep hold of people, which is why it's good to see us you know, nailing the likes of Alfie Babbage and Blair McKenzie and these guys down to longer contracts right now. Yeah. But I think there's certainly some good things happening within the youth. Well, yeah, and I suppose maybe the other side of that coin is if you've got a reputation for developing or being able to give people a chance to, to get into a team that might help you attract loan signings. You know, and I'm thinking first team loan signings, for example, we've got Leighton Clarkson. Yeah. We've had decent examples in the past. You know, if you get a reputation for bad examples as well, but never mind. Uh, true, true. But if you could get a reputation for maybe having decent coaching set up, yep. that might help you attract some of the the bigger names. I think as well, even just in terms of attracting I think as well in terms of attracting the best players at youth football level in Scotland to come to us. I think it's a massive thing because I think it, I think, you know, you've seen this season, Bavage has been given opportunities where he's come in. Um, Jack Milne, obviously, we've stuck out on loan after we came in for a couple of games earlier in the season. I think, you know, we look at Calvin Ramsey last season, even like Lewis Ferguson. Lewis Ferguson wasn't by any stretch of the imagination a finished product, a finished product when he arrived at Aberdeen from Hamilton. He was only 18, 19, I think, at that point. I think if you can demonstrate to a lot of kids up and down the country, and especially probably to kids' families up and down the country, I think that's the key thing is convincing, yeah, convincing the families that they've a real, you know, we've got real facilities now, yeah, etc., and that there's a real chance and a proven path of yeah. players getting an opportunity to to get in and around the first the first team. I think you're right. That's that is equally as important. I, th- I think it's immeasurably important how much the likes of a selling and a, you know i know a lot of us don't want to be a selling club but i think it's immeasurably important and the value of this can't be understated about being able to point now to the likes of scott mckenna lewis ferguson and, and calvin ramsey in particular the three that jump out where you can turn around and say look these are these were all kids when they came through um two of them homegrown one of them lewis ferguson who we picked up obviously from hamilton but we gave him the chance who are all now, you know, McKenna uh, or was um, kind of dropped out of the Forest team a little bit before he was injured. But, you know, Premier League, Calvin Ramsey got moved to Liverpool, one of the biggest teams in Europe. And Lewis Ferguson got moved to Serie A and is smashing it in Serie A. And there's a very real chance he might move on from Bologna this summer to an even bigger club. And that, to me, is a huge selling point for us. If you compare that to, you know, when was the last time that either side of the old firm, for example, um, or even for argument's sake, Hearts brought through somebody at that level. Hearts is maybe Hickey's the obvious example. Hearts. I was hoping um, forget that, and I can I f- make an excuse. Yeah, and I remembered it at the last minute before I made an arse myself. But Hearts haven't done it like three times, you know. No, I think it's a, it's a fair point. And, uh, and 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 the old firm don't do it full stop. Not really. They just let their what was he at one point Morales fifty million. They just let them run down their contracts. Uh-huh. Nathan Patterson's the best example that Rangers have done in recent years, and. I'm still not convinced by him as a player, so there we go. Um, but what do yeah. I know? Yeah, no, I, I agree. So there's a lot a lot of work to be done in the first team. But, you know, a lot of good stuff going on 
elsewhere as well, which will hopefully help us out in the seasons to come. Indeed, indeed. Uh, before we go Lone Watch. that the chorus hits way later in that song than I remember it hitting. Yeah, Gav, you might have about a minute and a half to chop out there. No, it's fine. We need to pad out, shit, Graham. It's fine. I think that might be the last one tonight because I, I had queued up earlier and now I'm just trying to think of songs that have got the word down in them. Anyway, never mind. Um, Lone Watch. Let's have a quick look at Lone Watch. Talking about young players who've come through our system with loads of potential and go on to do nothing. Um, Con McLean and Tristan Johnson are an unused substitute today as the Perth Saints won. Did they win 2-0 today? Against Livingston, I, I think, think they did. They did win. I can't even remember. Yeah, they did. 2-0 against Livingston. Um, so the new manager, go. Stephen McLean. I know. Another Don's connection right there. Three-year deal they gave him, eh? Seems a bit of a bold call. It does, doesn't it? Barry Robson's really kind of like set the kind of the stage now for this, hasn't he? Like, yeah, three-year deal sounds good to me. Um, I bet that was a right doozy at McDermott Park today. St. Johnson versus Livingston with absolutely nothing to play for for either team. Whew. And Although last game of... Club legend, as he's being referred to, Murray Davidson. Oh, yeah. Did so he get sent be... off? No, but I'm just thinking there'll be fewer players needing their shin guards replaced next season. True. Oh, he came off for the last minute and somehow didn't get booked. So there we go. That's incredible scenes. Um, and I saw that Livingston uh, gave Nicky Devlin a fond farewell as well from their um, official social media channel, uh, channels, despite the fact. Nobody knows where he's off to. I was going to say, despite the fact that nothing's <laughs> actually been confirmed by anyone other than the man himself. Yeah, the worst kept secret, I think, in Scottish football right now, except for the fact that Jim Cousin is a terrible, terrible manager. Um, Dante Povara, long watch at the Charleston Battery. He started and played for 77 minutes as the Battery beat Rio Grande Valley FC 2-0 in the USL Championship, the Battery remaining top of the pile in the Eastern Conference. Are you enjoying just how confused Gavin is about the whole Eastern-Western Conference thing? Yes, but I kind of want to resolve because I don't understand it either. It's just I've been keeping my powder dry in terms of fessing up to not understanding it. So from what I can gather, it would appear what happens basically is you've got Eastern and Western, right, in the MLS. But not really. Well, they're split geographically and they do play all of the teams like as though it's a normal league. But 
they also play four teams or a number of teams from the other conference. Like a number, not they don't play the whole conference. They just play a certain number of teams away. I don't know. It's like to give them some sort of like it's almost like European football for us. You can go and, so how do you know which ones you're gonna get? I don't know. I don't know if they play the same. I just I, I presume it's a random draw count? at the start of the season. Yeah, they, they, I think they count in the overall. Yeah, they count in the overall standings. It's it's very odd. But it's so like I could end up playing the likes of Smeltic, getting scudded five 0 and get no points, and then people just people who don't play people from the other division play in their own league and don't have teams like that to play against. Uh, yes, I think that's the way it could look. Because if you look at the Charleston Battery, for example, so they're top of the Eastern Conference, yeah. as we already know this season. So they just played Rio Grande Valley, who are yeah. currently tenth in the Western Conference. They've already played the Colorado Springs Switchbacks because we laughed about that name. They've played against the Las Vegas Lights, I think, because we laughed about that as well. And they played against Monterey Bay. So I don't it's know if that's just... Monterey. 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 What did I say? Monterey. Monterey. <laughs> I think it's Monterey Bay. I think you'll find the game. Um, so there we go. Okay, I, don't I still know. don't understand it. Nah, I still don't get it either. Well, I did see there's Memphis. Is it 901? Memphis 901. Where, uh, hovering FC. around mid-table. Yeah, but they've only played nine games, to be fair. They've played way less than everybody else. Yeah, yeah. So if they were to... They've played three games less than the Charleston Batteries. So if they were to win their three games in hand, they'd be level on points with the Batteries. That so. is very interesting. Is it? Is it interesting? No, it's not. No, it's not. Anyway, right. Will that do us, Graham, for this half? Yes. So, yep, yeah, that'll do us for this half. Join us on the other side as we'll bring you our exclusive interview with Fernando Pasquinelli. That's a phrase I never thought I'd ever say. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Siberia Bar, like us all, are praying for European nights this summer with the end of the season looming and the prospect of a big summer at Pataudry on the horizon. Make a night of it by visiting the bar pre- and post-match, grabbing some cheap drinks using the ABZ Pod discount and even better, stay in the hotel after a big night of celebrations and get 15% off your stay in the hotel by booking direct to Siberia Bar Hotel and using the code ABZPOD. back to the ABZ Football Podcast um, before we move on to our interview with Fernando Pasquinelli. Just a quick shout out to those of you who continue to make your contributions to the ABZ FP Beer and Coffee Fund this week, including Jim Boyle. Graham, you're going to have to step in for Gaff here. Jim Boyle. I can't do it justice. Oh, do I have to do it now? Jim! Mark Robertson. Robbo! Ruffy Boy. Ruffy! And Richard McClure. McClure. Um, we see you. your bread's appreciated if you'd like to help keep us fueled in beers or coffee or alternatively just, you know, pay for the uh, running costs of the podcast please head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash abz football podcast link is in the description it is absolutely much appreciated and our regular monthly donators should keep an eye on their emails over the next few weeks for a couple of bits and pieces from us as a thank you to you for your regular contributions which allows us to keep on keeping on with this nonsense um we'll talk about the aberdeen to gothenburg to Hamburg Challenge next week when Gav is back. No, Gav's not here next week, is he? He's in Norway because he's skiving again. Yep, unauthorised absence two weeks. Oh, did, did he not submit his holiday request to you either? 
Nope. Nah, what a fucking joke, honestly. Never mind. Right, here we go. The latest in our line of interviews with Don's personalities of past and present. This time it is the second Argentinian to pull on the famous red of the mighty Aberdeen, arriving from Livingston in the summer of 2004 as Jimmy Caldwell's revolution continued apace, going on to make 10 appearances overall, scoring three goals before injury brought to halt his time in the Northeast. Graham, your memories of Fernando Pasquinelli? He had a slightly clumsy style, if that's if I feel, but he was there was something about him. He was quite likable. And I don't think we really necessarily saw the best of him because he was at Livingston the season prior, wasn't he? And yeah, he was at Levee the pre yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right, yeah. Um so no, I bet you you can't not think of Pasquinelli and not have that uh, Cup the Year celebration when he scored against Celtic. Delightful. Delightful stuff. Um, we were hoping that what would happen here is that we would have beaten Celtic at the weekend and then we could have done a nice little link there, but it didn't happen, so never mind. Um, before we get going on this, just to set the scene for people. So Fernando doesn't speak a huge amount of English um, and we learned our lessons from the Alex de Rocco interview where we had the kind of same um, the same issue. So... Um, Going through game, although it turns out, and I forgot all about this, and we should probably bring it to the table now. Turns out, Graham, you've got Argentinian stock in you. We didn't know this until you. How long have I known you for? Too long. Too long. Too long. And when this revelation came out, this is the first I'd ever heard of it. I'm sure it. It never, it never cropped up ever before. So there we go. Yes, but unfortunately, none of the language. No, none of the language. But you could have played or the football takers. No, definitely not. But you could have played for Argentina, as it turns out. Could have been you. Yep, could have been me. Indeed. We only got some growth hormones a little bit earlier. Oh, yeah. Allegedly. I that. Mm. Anyway, uh, yeah, so Fernando doesn't speak a lot of English. Um, so we employed the services of Malcolm Isaac, who acted as a translator for us in this one. So hopefully you'll all enjoy it, despite the fact that it does go through the translation loop. But it's, it was a really good chat. And, you know, Graham touched on it earlier on. It's a little bit niche. A little bit obscure, but we certainly enjoy getting to try and talk to some of these more obscure members it's of our history. Really, really good. The the fact that A, you can track them down, <laughs> and B, almost without exception, the, the first response is, Yeah, great. No, no one's ever when said can no we, to us. When can we sort it? And everyone's really, really generous with their time, especially, you know, like to this. I think maybe Fran was a little bit unsure with language barrier, but when we offered up the fact that we, we had someone who could act as the translator. He seemed to be quite keen. And yeah, it's just really, really good that uh, these guys are happy to give it the time. So I can't imagine he's sitting there <laughs> checking his inbox and expecting to see, oh, yep, another request for an Aberdeen interview. So it's really cool that they that they do it. And you always like to hear about, you know, stories or just what did people think of the, the club in the city. So a little bit maybe unusual, but... What's the point of having the ones that everyone else has heard of? Exactly, exactly. We, we've done a few of them as well, it's fair to say, but um, it's always good to do the obscure ones. So here we go. Without any further ado, it is Fernando Pasquinelli, Slayer of the Celts. Fernando Pasquinelli, welcome to the ABZ Football Podcast. How's it going? Hola. Uh, hi, everyone. Yeah, it's uh, great to be here. Um, we've been trying to arrange an interview for a few months. Um, been in touch with you, Gary, uh, yeah, for a few months. I tried to arrange it. So glad we can finally get it over the line. Um, so it's great to be here. It's a privilege. Um, and also, yeah, great to be able to um, reach out and talk about Aberdeen and the fans. 
And listen, um, Fernando, we're delighted to get the chance to finally talk to you. As you say, it's taken a little bit of time to get sorted out, but we're here at last. And thanks as well to you, Malcolm, for agreeing to step in to act as our interpreter for the day. So let's just get straight down to it. Uh, Fernando, born in Santa Fe in Argentina in March 1980. If you can, just describe for us a little bit your your upbringing in Argentina. Sí, nací en Caña de Gómez, Caña de Gómez, en la provincia de Santa Fe, es un pueblo uh, yeah, um, I was born, uh, as you say, in uh, the province of Santa Fe, in a city called uh, Cañada de Gómez, which uh, has about 30,000 inhabitants, so quite a small city. Uh, I always wanted to be a footballer, so that's basically my childhood, I was just, uh, training to become, to become a footballer. Cuando está en la vorágine de la carrera de jugar, también no tiene noción de, lo, de, de las cosas que va haciendo, de los lugares. Y bueno, muchas veces, ahora que estoy un poco más grande. Yeah, I liked where I grew up. Uh, all my family is from there. Um, so now that I'm older and I look back on it, I had a really nice childhood. As I say, my family is from there. And uh, yeah, look back on it. Uh, there, were, there were some good memories. So, as you just said, uh, Fernando, always interested in football. So, who would have been your your idols growing up? I guess it's hard to imagine that the answer for this is not going to be uh, Diego Maradona. Eh, sí, sí, <laughs> Maradona. Yo era Maradona. Yo me acuerdo que cuando me fui a Escocia, que era uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, Diego <laughs> was my hero, of course. Um, when I moved to Scotland in 2002-2003 um, and spoke to people that he was the first name on everyone's lips, obviously. Um, but when I was yeah, growing up, I wanted to become a footballer. He was clearly my and everyone else's idol. Um, he was an inspiration uh, for what he did for the Argentinian people. Fue mi inspirador, como a muchos eh, chicos de mi edad, para ser jugador de fútbol. Eh, obviamente que es imposible llegar como él, ¿no? Pero el sueño de todo chico en esa etapa... It was obviously very difficult to reach the same levels that he did. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, when I was younger and um, a youth player, I managed to um, play in the youth teams of Boca Juniors. And I got to see him in training just when his time there was coming to an end. So it was, yeah, a real honor to be up close to him. No, era algo grandioso que por suerte no me lo voy a olvidar más. You just touched on it there. Uh, a spell with Boca Juniors in their youth setup before then a small stop off in Leicester with Leicester City. And although you never played first team uh, for Leicester, how was the experience of? Moving to England uh, for you, did you find that hard or was it kind of um, enjoyable? Uh, yeah, uh, it was a great experience actually in England. Um, when I was 19, I played in uh, a tournament called the Milk Cup uh, for Boca um, and it was in Northern Ireland. And Boca also played some friendlies in England. Um, and I really, I love uh, English football, the speed of the game, uh, the intensity. So I got the chance to go on loan 
to Leicester from Boca, um, which was, as I said, it was amazing. But unfortunately, I wasn't able to stay for longer just because of, you know, reasons out with my control. Um, so that was a shame. But yeah, it was an incredible experience getting to see uh, Premier League games up close. And uh, yeah, just an incredible experience. Estar porque jugaba en reserva, entrenaba con el primer equipo ya con 19 años, veía los partidos ahí de Premier League. Para mí me encanta el fútbol inglés. After leaving Leicester, after leaving uh, Boca, there's some spells in Honduras and then in Argentina as well before making the switch to Scotland in 2003 where you joined Livingston. Um, Livingston at the time were managed by the Brazilian uh, Marcio Maximo. Uh, how did that move to Livingston come about and, and did you need much persuasion to make the move to uh, to West Lothian? Sí, uh, la propuesta surgió, yo estaba en Temperley eh, y la propuesta vino porque... Uh, well, when I arrived at Livingston, or when I signed for Livingston, it wasn't actually Marcio Maximo, it was uh, two coaches whose name I don't remember, uh, Jim somebody. Um, and then the year after, Marcio Maximo uh, came in. Um, I was at Temperley in Argentina in the second division um, when I got the proposal. Uh, didn't know much about Livingston or Scottish football really um, at the time. But when I was in Leicester uh, at the digs <laughs> we were staying at, you know, all the lads were together and digs and the woman who uh, ran the digs uh, who gave us food uh, you know, cooks for us, cleaned everything. He was Scottish, actually. So I did have some links to Scotland beforehand. And when I got the offer, um, when I got the offer, yeah, I didn't, didn't think twice. Uh, it was a big challenge. Um, yeah, I was just ready to pack my bags and go because it was a dream to go and play in Europe and take that chance. So, um, yeah, that was my arrival in Livingston. I'm wondering then if the coach who maybe approached initially was Jim Leishman, because he would have been at Livingston the season before. Jim Leishman, sí. A real character of Scottish football is the best way to describe Jim, I think. Well, obviously you'd had the spell in England at Leicester. Was it a big culture shock for you, Fernando, coming to Scotland and then getting used to Scottish football? No, como todo cambio de liga y como todo cuando eh, el traspaso, digamos, me costó un par de meses la adaptación. Uh, it took me a couple of months to adapt. Um, the game was very physical. Um, Scotland um, but I felt comfortable with that and yeah after I got got settled and got used to the way of playing um, yeah I managed to um, yeah get on okay just like any other footballer would 
nada, es como cualquier jugador de fútbol. It's a crazy season for Livingston, uh, but your own season Fernando gets off to a great start. There's a goal on your Scottish football debut, a really good goal in a in a draw with Partick Thistle in the opening uh, game of the season. You then grab your second goal for Livingston in a 3-0 win over Aberdeen at Pataudry a few weeks later. As a striker, that's always going to be a good way, isn't it, to settle into your new club by getting some early goals? Sí, sí. Obviamente que uno como delantero le da siempre confianza. Y, y bueno, estaba... Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, as a striker, uh, scoring goals obviously gives you confidence. Um, and at that time, yeah, I was feeling good, um, which is obviously important as well for any player. Uh, I had high hopes as well for the season. Um, a lot of work was going on behind the scenes at Livingston. Um, so, yeah, uh, I was feeling positive. Hubo mucho trabajo atrás, de, entonces cuando empiezan a darse su fruto, uno se, se pone contento. Marcio Maximo doesn't last long in charge. Indeed, by October, he's resigned. Uh, the official reason for this given at the time is because of personal reasons. There was a lot of rumor at the time that um, a lot of the first team players at Livingston didn't like his management style, his his methods. Um, what was your view, um, Fernando? And was that a little bit unsettling for you that a manager's left so quickly after you've you've joined the club? Sí, yo igual ya estaba en, en, en Livingston, ¿no? Eh, cuando él llegó yo ya hacía seis meses que estaba. Eh, y sí, eh, por ahí... Um, so, as I said before, um, yeah, I'd been at the club six months when he came in, so um, I was already there. Um, but he did uh, impose, like, new ways of training and new ways of playing um, very quickly, which was a bit of a shock. Um, and the results weren't great, to be honest. So, yeah, the board made a decision to let him go. Um, but as a footballer, these things happen. I'm used to that kind of thing. So you just have to get out on the pitch and do your best and not think about it. Davy Hay takes over. Um, it's a real struggle in the league for Livingston, but the cups are, are really fruitful. Queen's Park and Dundee United are beaten in the League Cup before there's a quarter final against Aberdeen at Pataudry. This one finishes 2 2 after normal time. You score again at Pataudry in this one before Lee, Lee Makel wins it for Livingston in extra time that sets up a semi-final against Dundee. But on the day of that semi-final against Dundee, there's been a lot of speculation for a while about Livingston's finances, and it's confirmed on the day of the semi that Livingston would be formally entering into the administration process. Was that a big distraction for the players, Fernando? And I guess it's got to be a worry as well ahead of that game for, for the players. Yes, la verdad que esa temporada en Livingston nos pasó de todo. As you say, the season was uh, crazy. Uh, everything happened. Um, the players knew David Hay when he came in, uh, but there was a bit of a tense atmosphere, to be honest. Um, but luckily, the players were united, a uh, good group of players, um, and we focused on football as a way of kind of getting through it all. Um, 
on the day, I remember on the day of the game with uh, Dundee, we had a meeting, uh, all the players together, uh, about the um, administration. And yeah, we managed to dig deep, uh, find strengths where there wasn't any really, um, just to get through it. And for me, it was really a big personal achievement um, making it to the final um, considering the circumstances. I think I'm right in saying as well, Fernando, that you were one of the group of players who agreed to take a, a reduction in your wages, which meant you could stay on at Livingston at that point, and that obviously helped to make sure that the club could certainly get to the end of the season anyway from a from a financial perspective. Sí, sí. Uh, yes, you're right. Uh, I did uh, agree to a uh, wage cut, but I wasn't the only one. There was a group of guys, uh, good guys, who uh, agreed to do the same. Um, making it through to the end of the season, um, you know, it was kind of dependent on getting going further in the cup. So we knew that there was like a uh, financial incentive to do well. And also, as I said before, under David Hay, uh, the guys were really together and wanted to do well. Um, so yeah, I was, I did take a wage cut. Yeah. So the semi-final against Dundee finishes 1-0 for Livingston. You play a huge part in the winning goal. You win the penalty in the last minute that Derek clearly converts. It's a huge game, a huge night for Livingston. Um, can you remember much about that that evening, Fernando? Yes, a game that we with a lot of nerves. Yeah, I remember the game. Um, everyone was nervous. Uh, yeah, there were a lot of nerves going around before the start of the game. I had some injury worries, um, a, a groin strain. Um, but anyway, yeah, I remember the, the penalty. I think it was a long ball from yeah one of my teammates. I think maybe Oscar uh, Oscar Rubio played me in. Um, yeah, and it was great to get the goal so late in the game. And yeah, it was really fundamental to yeah really fundamental for our season getting the win. The final at Hamden sees Livingston face up against the favourites Hibs um, to see who would become the first side in six years outside of Rangers or Celtic to win a major honour in Scotland. You start this one on the bench, um, but what can you remember about the build-up and just your first experience of um, of, of, of Hamden Park generally? Sí, como te decía anteriormente, yo me venía un poco tocado por el tema de la pubalgia. Ya en semifinal el... Eh, so, uh... As I said before, I had uh, groin trouble uh, in the semi. So yeah, I think I played the whole second half in the semi. Um, injury worries. Um, I was really desperate to play the final. Um, you know, we had basically the whole town behind us, so the whole town of Willington, all the fans were there. Um, I did know, like we saw that Rangers and Celtic 
you know, they were not, they were out. And that if we if we beat Dundee, then uh, yeah, we'd have a good chance of taking home the the, the cup. Um, before the match, I saw the dance, great goal, and uh, the Champions League final. So that you know, I started dreaming of doing the same. Um, in fact, the other day I saw Scotland beat Spain, uh, and it was. Uh, yeah, it was a great uh, privilege to see uh, the National Stadium again and all the fans there. Two quick goals in the second half from Derek Lilly, one from ex-Aberdeen player Jamie McAllister sees Livingston secure their first and only major honour to date. You come off the bench, Fernando, for the last four minutes for this one. Um, although you're only on the pitch for a short period of time, it must be quite nice at that point because you know the Cup's won. And there must have been some uh, healthy celebrations afterwards, I imagine. The celebrations are the most lindo. Yes, I'm very happy. As I said, I came with the para. Yeah, the, uh, as you can imagine, the celebrations were the best bit. Um, yeah, it was incredible. Uh, I just made it back in time for the, fi- uh, for the final, um, and the manager put me on the pitch just at the end. Uh, I had a really good relationship with him, and he had a great relationship with the players. Um, the celebrations were, yeah, fantastic. So the town... The whole town, as I said, was there. The uh, whole town behind us. Uh, fans. Um, you know, it was great because in the league, it started quite badly, but then we picked it up. Um, and then we had a meeting with all the players to try and, you know, drive us on to get in the top six. Um, but yeah, back to the final celebrations. As I said, fantastic. You know, all the fans there, open top bus. Uh, you name it. So, yeah, it was just uh, beautiful. And then, 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 Aberdeen are dispatched again. Um, a replay at the quarterfinal stage that then sets up a semi-final against Celtic, which uh, Livingston falls short on, and the league form kind of tails off a little bit as well. Livingston end up finishing ninth in the in the table that season. Uh, come the end of the season, you you make the decision to leave Livingston. I presume that would have felt inevitable after all the financial issues that were that were there. See. Um, it, it had been a long season, um, so yeah, when the season finished, uh, my plan was to go back to Argentina, um, rest, recuperate. Um, I had a groin issue, as I said, which was a kind of new type of injury. Like it was kind of difficult to uh, get over it back then. Um, so I went back to Argentina. I uh, rested up, got my fitness back. Then I got the chance to move to Spain, um, and I was actually on my way to Spain. Um, but uh, I got a call from Aberdeen, uh, and I uh, didn't think twice because 
Uh, Aberdeen, obviously one of the top clubs in Scotland. So, yeah, very big club. So yeah, didn't think twice. Um, and it was yeah, really a really nice challenge for me. Yeah, you've just touched on it there. So in Aberdeen that, that summer, Jimmy Caldwood, Jimmy Nicol, they've taken charge. Um, they're attempting to turn the club around, get it moving in the right direction. There's two goalless draws that gets the season up and running. And then on the 18th of August, it's confirmed that you've signed a, a deal with Aberdeen until the end of the season. Um, you've just touched on the fact that obviously you were on your way to Spain when the, the call from Aberdeen came through. But what were your um, what were your first impressions of Jimmy Caldwood? Jimmy had earmarked you, I think, as a player he wanted because you'd caused his Dunfermline athletic side some challenges the season before. Yeah, when I was at Livingston, uh, we had some good games against Dunfermline um, that season. Uh, the, yeah, they had a good team, played well. Um, so yeah, I knew I knew about Dunfermline and Jimmy before. Um, with regard to the signing, uh, I got a fax, a fax proposal to sign for Aberdeen, and since I knew knew the manager, knew the league, uh, yeah, didn't hesitate to sign. So it was a great sign for the Dons. Obviously, you'd been in Scotland for the for the for the season before. Um, just what did you know about Aberdeen, the club, and, and I guess the city, uh, before deciding to make the move? Uh, I obviously knew the club from having played against it um, for Livingston the season before, um, and also from living in Scotland, I got a sense of the size of the club. Uh, the history behind it. Um, you know, I knew that the Aberdeen have uh, won important European trophies, uh, like the Cupmaners Cup. Um, I knew Alex Ferguson would be the manager. Um, so, you know, really happy to get the offer to come to Aberdeen. Um, as I said, it's one of the well, one of the top three or four clubs in Scotland, and also perhaps. Uh, yeah, one of the best clubs in it's been a really top club in Europe um, as well. So yeah, really happy to get the offer and uh, yeah, felt a sense of responsibility as well on my shoulders. He's again, you kind of touched on it a little bit there with no disrespect to, to Livingston, um, but Aberdeen are a, historically a significantly much bigger club than, than Livingston. How did you find that kind of adapting to the size of the club and then the expectation level that comes with that um, from the fans. Yeah, I owe a lot to Livingston. They gave me the chance to go back to Europe. Um, so I'm grateful uh, for that. But, you know, it's a new club. So compared to Aberdeen, um, Aberdeen obviously are much bigger. Um, when I moved, I really got a sense of the size of the club. Um, and yeah, it was quite <laughs> quite imposing. Um, you know, basically every game we played felt like a final. Debut comes for you really quickly. Uh, you come off against off the bench against your old side Livingston. Aberdeen already two 0 up when you come on, but I do remember you went really close to scoring on your debut. How did you kind of find that Aberdeen dressing room to settle into and? Were there any players in particular that you had the kind of best relationship with at the time? 
El grupo de Aberdeen eh, era muy bueno, era muy bueno. Yo era el único hablando en español. Uh, so Aberdeen, yeah, the great, really good uh, group of players. Um, unfortunately, I was, uh, yeah, I only was uh, able to speak Spanish, so it was a bit difficult. But um, a Finnish player uh, who we found out to be Marcus Heikinen. Um, He, he was really nice, and also uh, Noel Whelan, uh, as all the Don fans will remember, um, former Sunderland player, I think. Uh, he was really nice too. Uh, there were also a lot of really promising youngsters coming through. So, yeah, great group of players, and had a lot of promise to start to do uh, some really, really good things. Um, but... Going back to the Livingston game, yeah, it was really tough. Uh, really tough for me to play against my former teammates, for example, um, Emmanuel Dorado and Oscar Rubio. Um, yeah, it, it was tough for me, but just had to get on with it. Era un poco raro, pero bueno, son las cosas del fútbol. There's a first start for the Dons a midweek visit to Celtic Park um, is probably your, your the moment you'd be remembered most for in an Aberdeen shirt, Fernando. Aberdeen race into a two-goal lead quickly. Darren Mackey with the opener. He heads in your flick on before then you grab the second goal, pressuring David Marshall in goals for Celtic. His clearance comes straight off of you. You've got all the time in the world to tap the ball into an empty net. Just how good a feeling is that when you can run onto a ball like that at Celtic Park to put Aberdeen 2-0 up, knowing that all you've got to do is tap it in. Es lo que más extraño en el fútbol. Es lo que más extraño del fútbol. Sí, la verdad que... Yeah, uh, scoring is what I miss most uh, about football, to be honest. Um, so the background to the match is that I still suffering from the injury problems I had the season before. Um, so I actually brought a physio from Argentina uh, to Scotland to help me with my recovery. Um, so I would train and work with the physios at the club, and then I would go home and do extra sessions with a physical therapist from Argentina. So I did a lot of work. Um, So, yeah, I did a lot of work and he came just in time to play that game at Celtic Park. So, uh, what, what a game. Uh, it was, I still remember the goals, the atmosphere, everything. Um, I even remember, I remember the, the goal to make it 3-2 for us. I don't remember the name of the guy who scored uh, up front. came from uh, the youth system. Um, John Stewart. Uh, and yeah, I remember he ran onto the ball and it was just, well, great moment. Um, and yeah, just tremendous memories. That's what uh, you play football for. And it'll, yeah, I'll never forget it. Emotion muy linda. Son momentos increíbles que te hace vivir el fútbol que, que te lo llevas para siempre. The, uh, the cup tier celebration after you score, uh, it winds up the Celtic support immensely. Is that something instinctive or was it pre-planned? <laughs> uh, 
Uh, yeah, basically, I'm a massive fan of uh, Juan Roman Riquelme, who played for Boca Juniors, and he's the one who started it, basically. So I copied him. Um, and the reason I did it against Celtic is because in the previous season, uh, whenever I touched the ball, uh, the fans started booing and whistling me. So when I got the chance, uh, to celebrate against them at Celtic Park I took it and well you know that's football um, these things happen and yeah it was great to give the fans a bit of satisfaction excellent stuff grande Fernando por lo de la salvación you have to leave the field of play with, with injury I'm presuming it's a growing problem here not long after half time Um Celtic equalise about 10 minutes after that. Having to watch a game like this from the sidelines must be agonising. Celtic, obviously, were at home. Um, we all know, I mean, they've had great teams, obviously, over the years, but they were a really good team at that point in time, you know, with uh, Martin O'Neill as the boss as well. Um, when they're at home, you know that they can... Yeah, well, they, they pegged us back to 2-2 from uh, being 2-0 uh, down, and you know that they can basically win uh, any time. Um, so we had to work twice as hard, because, you know, if you don't leave everything on the pitch, so then, yeah, we'll just run all over you. Um, but luckily, yeah, we got the goal at the end, which was uh, just an incredible moment. Um, yeah, it's, when you're on the sideline, you're nervous, but at the same time, you kind of you leave everything on the pitch, so you're just kind of yeah biting your nails on the, on the top And you said it a minute ago, it's John Stewart who races through the unlikely winner in the final minute. There's bedlam chaos in the away end for the Aberdeen supporters, and presumably. Some pretty big celebrations in the dressing room after this one as well. Sí, sí, porque también creo que el Celtic en esa etapa venía con una racha muy grande de que Celtic were on a great run at that time, um, undefeated at home for a long time. Um, but yeah, it was a great feeling when we managed to to break that run. Uh, yeah, everyone was really happy about that in the dressing room. And the physio who was staying with me that I brought over from Argentina, uh, they were in the crowd. So uh, when we got home, uh, they told me about it. Uh, it was like the celebrations on the bus on the way up the road. Um, so yeah, it was just a really, a really nice moment. A few weeks later, it's your next start, Fernando, a 3-2 win over Kilmarnock at Pitodre. You score two goals in the first half in this one. Um, these are the only goals you score for Aberdeen at, at Pitodre. But um, can you remember much about, about those goals and, and that game there? Sí, me los recuerdo muy bien. Eh, sí, como te decía antes... Eh, yeah, I remember the game well, um, but the backstory is that when I was at 
Livy the last two months. Um, they were quite tough. I had a lot of injury uh, problems. Moments when I was feeling good, moments when I was feeling I was in quite a bit of pain. Um, so, yeah, it was nice to get back to scoring ways against Celtic uh, for Aberdeen. And then, you know, just you know, feel myself again, get back to my uh, previous level. Um, I remember one of the goals that, against Killy, it was like the one against Celtic, basically closed down the keeper, uh, which is something I used to do a lot as a footballer, you know. Um, so, yeah, it was nice to score uh, and also help the team um, pick up some points because, you know, that's, what Aberdeen wanted, you know, to get into the European places and uh, at the bare minimum get into the top six. A couple of weeks later, um, it's your final appearance for Aberdeen. Uh, you start against Dundee at Danes Park have to come off after about 39 minutes due to injury. I think it was reported at the time that it was a, a muscle tear. Was that still related to the to the groin issue that you'd had? And I guess, did you know at the time then that what happened in this game was a, was a bad one? Sí, que en realidad ese partido fue la misma lesión que se agravó porque yo... Uh, yeah, it was a repeat injury of the one I had before, um, which actually it was a hernia, not a groin strain. My bad uh, Yeah, so it was a hernia um, here, maybe 14 months. Um, and it was really quite depressing because it kept coming, uh, coming and going. So, yeah, it was... As I said before, it was kind of a new thing to treat. So, yeah, I couldn't really get over injury troubles. Um, so basically, there was, I think, there was, yeah, not much left of the season, maybe two months. Um, so the club and I, we decided that it would be best if I went back to Argentina. Um, I really, I needed an operation. So, um yeah, that was the outcome of that. It wasn't a muscle tear. It was actually a recurrence of my hernia uh, trouble. So I guess that's a, a really frustrating and, and a disappointing way for your time at Aberdeen to, to come to an end. Fernando, do you think if you'd have been able to get back fit before the end of that season, do you think that Jimmy would have looked to have extended your contract for another year? And would you have stayed at Aberdeen for another year if that was that was an offer? Sí, yo estaba muy cómodo en Aberdeen, en el fútbol escocés. Me sentía muy cómodo y me sentía muy bien. Y en Aberdeen... So I felt really good in Aberdeen. Uh, yeah, like being there, like Scottish football. Um, but that's 
yeah, that football, you know, having to leave. Um, I was 22 years old when I came to Scotland. I stayed until I was 25. Um, yeah, I would have liked to have stayed, but I just, yeah, it wasn't to be. Um, so basically, I went back to Argentina, uh, had an operation, and got the chance to sign for second division clubs, uh, Talleres de Córdoba is the name. Um, so I continued my career there. Um, but yeah, great memories of Aberdeen. And in fact, I still uh, follow the club, um, still look out for the results. In fact, uh, yeah, I noticed that they sacked uh, Jim Goodwin, changed the manager, um, and they're doing really well now. I like uh, Duke um, as well, and the, the two guys in the middle. Uh, of, of the park as well so yeah to look out for Aberdeen's results Excellent I'd love to hear it you kind of touched on it there obviously after leaving Aberdeen uh, Fernando you, you move to back to Argentina play for a number of different clubs around uh, Argentina elsewhere in South America before retiring from the game in, in 2014 so what does um what does life look like now for Fernando Pascanelli? Bueno, después del retiro en el 2013 mío que fue en Argentina, me, me hice el curso de entrenador en Argentina. Estaba uh, como entrenador de So, yeah, I when I finished playing in uh, 2013, um, I wanted to stay in football, so I started. So I took my coaching badges. Um, did a yeah, coaching tour and became a youth coach in Argentina. Um, but after that, after a few years, I spoke to my wife and my family. And since uh, my ancestors are Italian, um, uh, in 2020, we decided to move to Italy. Um, so since then, I've done uh, a couple of UEFA courses so uh, yeah coaching but also scouting and uh, player analysis uh, I've done my uh, UEFA uh, B license um, and I, I uh, currently uh, coach a team um, in the town near where I live now in Italy um, I was always quite vocal on the pitch uh, organizing things and uh, yeah, giving orders. So this is what I like to do, and yeah, I can see myself being a coach. Así que me gustaría desarrollarme en ese aspecto y seguir ligado al fútbol. Any plans, Fernando, to drag the family back to the cold northeast of Scotland to to revisit Aberdeen? I'm sure that you'd be warmly welcomed again by by the club and by the by the Aberdeen support. Sí, sí. Yeah, actually, since the turn of the year, I've been planning to, to go to Aberdeen and yeah, go back to Scotland. Um, yeah, I've been talking about it with my family, but um, yeah, just some things have come up and I haven't managed to actually uh, arrange the trip yet. But yeah, would love to. And uh, yeah, if, if it comes off, then uh, yeah, let's stay in touch. Absolutely. We're due you at least a beer or a wine for uh, for doing this anyway for us, Fernando. Pues sí, claro. Uh, estamos en contacto y uh, por lo mínimo te debemos una, una cerveza o un, una copa de vino o algo así. 
Claro que sí, claro que sí, <laughs> claro que sí. Encantadísimo. Yeah, sure, we'd love to. Excellent, great stuff. And, and Malcolm, obviously you too, because we couldn't have been able to do this without you uh, helping us out tonight. So listen, Fernando, we'll, we'll, it's been an absolute pleasure to get to talk to you. I know we've been trying to do it for a while now. It's great to do it again, Malcolm. Thank you so much for stepping in and help us out with this one. It's really, really appreciated. We'll end the interview here with the same question that we ask all of our guests on the show, Fernando, uh, with 10 appearances and three goals for Aberdeen. It's a short spell at Aberdeen, but still a memorable one and one that the Aberdeen supporters still remember. But Fernando Pasquinelli, um, what does Aberdeen Football Club mean to you? Bueno, primero, eh, encantado de... Bueno, agradezco a vos personalmente por, por, por ser el intérprete y por ayudarnos, porque veníamos hace varios meses, como te decía. Uh, thanks. Eh, yeah, it's been a great interview. It's a pleasure. Um, yeah, thanks to uh, Malcolm as well for uh, making it possible um, as we try to organize it. Uh, we needed a few months to get this uh, organized, so um, thanks again. Um, I really enjoyed it because as you get older, um, you begin to realize that, you know, the career of a footballer is actually really short and you don't realize at the time what things mean because you're too focused on the day-to-day training, etc. Um, so Aberdeen is a place, so I've got a place uh, in my heart for Aberdeen um, when I was growing up. Uh, as a boy in uh, Cañada de Gomez, where I'm from, in Santa Fe. Um, yeah, my dream was to play in Argentina and then also to play in Europe. So Aberdeen, uh, Livingston and Aberdeen gave me uh, that chance. And uh, yeah, in fact, I've got a couple of Aberdeen shirts here with me in Italy. Uh, in Italy. I brought them with me. Um, so... The club means a lot to me, and I would love to go back um, to visit, and also maybe one day to uh, yeah to work to get involved in football again in some capacity in Scotland. Como te decía siempre, mi idea es volver a Escocia a visitar, a trabajar, si se puede en el fútbol también. I love it, top man Fernando. Uh, like I say, we really appreciate you taking the time tonight to join us on the ABZ Football Podcast. Stand free. Eres un crack, Fernando. Muchas gracias uh, por todo y stand free, como, uh, como los hinchas uh, dicen. <laughs> vamos, eh, vamos. Agradecerte a vos otra vez. Agradecerte a Gary. Thanks por, a lot, uh, yeah, por, to me and to you, Gary. Um, yeah, it was great. Uh, thanks for uh, <laughs> remembering me. And uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's stay in touch. Estoy a su disposición, digamos. Te agradezco y agradecerle a Gary de, de corazón. Absolutely. Adiós. <laughs> Chao, adiós. And there we go. That wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ. Uh, thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, or follow, or whatever you might do on your podcast player of choice, including Spotify. Join us next week for episode 108, uh, where we'll kickstart our patenting series of reviews of the season that's just been. We're going to be joined by Shona Duffy, to bring you part one of the end of season review, we're going to look over the season from the start of the League Cup group stages right the way through to the 4-1 win over Kilmarnock in October. Uh, you might think that that's an odd place to stop, but there's a very, very uh, good reason for that. If you look at what the next fixture is, that will give you the clue. Anyway, we look forward to seeing you then. Stand free.
This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds!